Welcome to Locked On Sooners Live. We've got some player movement, maybe. Theo Wies might be in the portal. Dylan Gabriel, non-committal. We'll talk about that. We'll give you our offensive takeaways from Saturday's loss to Texas Tech. We'll continue to talk about the defense, where Oklahoma goes from here. We'll have some recruiting things to discuss as well, all on today's episode. Tonight's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Locked On Sooners Live on Monday night. We just kicked it off 9 p.m. Central Time. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh on Ref. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Sooners, Facebook, Locked On Sooners Podcast, and Instagram, Locked On Sooners as well. Josh, the first thing I feel like we got to discuss is kind of the, the news that came down. Uh, it was Mike Roach of 24-7 Sports that first kind of laid it out there. Uh, and I haven't seen anything contrary to this report that Theo Wees is looking at entering the transfer portal. It's expected that he will enter the transfer portal. So a uh, little bit surprising, but maybe not all that surprising when you kind of look into the context. So as I wrote my story for Sooners Wire a little bit um, or earlier this evening, just looked at the snap count. He was fourth among wide receivers in snaps behind Marvin Mims, Drake, Stoops, Jalil Farouk. He was sixth on the team in targets and receptions tied for, I think his third in touchdown receptions. So a guy that produced when given the opportunity, but just weren't given a whole lot of opportunities. Yeah. And I can understand the frustration for Theo Weiss this season. I mean, what did we spend all off season talking about John was, well, if there's two guys that you feel really, really good about for this Oklahoma wide receiver core, it's Marvin Mims and it's Theo Weiss. And well, that held true on one half of the equation. And I mean, you ran down some of the stats. It's not as though Theo Weiss was totally uninvolved, but relative to what the expectation was for the season that Theo Weiss would have, he, you know, falling behind the pecking order of a Jaleel Farouk really at times of a Drake Stoops, and then just in terms of pass catchers, certainly of a Braden Willis, had to be frustrating for Theo Weiss. And ultimately, the, the crazy thing here for OU is you had that trio of five-star wide receivers, and yeah. none, none will finish their career with uh, the University of Oklahoma for obviously uh, different reasons. Trajan Bridges' situation, probably don't need to rehash that one out. Uh, Jaden Hazelwood, his decision to leave, and now uh, obviously – Theo Weiss here. So all of that promise from that trifecta of five stars really across the board. I mean, I guess you would say Jaden Hazelwood ultimately was the most productive of the three, but none of the three uh, in terms of being a five-star kid coming in or a five-star signee coming in. None of those guys ultimately were five stars for Oklahoma, which Theo Weiss, the best man. I still think he's a very, very talented wide receiver. I think potentially if he, you know, depending upon where he winds up, John, and what the production looks like, I still think he can be an NFL-type wide receiver. I do. Just didn't, for whatever reason, in part because of the injuries, too, just didn't work out at Oklahoma. Yeah, and I think that that's some of it is, you know, the 2021 season really set him back a little bit. In 2020, he tied for the team lead in receptions. What more could you ask for, right, from your five-star receiver? He didn't lead him in yards. Marvin Mims did that, but we know Marvin Mims. He's going to average 19, 20 yards per reception, so it, it kind of all pans out. But Theo Weiss is a really good player in 2020. It 
you know, took him a while to really get going in 2022. Yeah, it's just unfortunate. I think is really what it comes down to. I had a chance to talk with him uh, at OU Media Day, you know, last summer before they kicked off the season. He's a nice dude. He's a really nice kid. Just great personality. Just really beams like really positive outlook. And I think, you know, you, you wish for the best. You hope for the best. I, I just wish it w- he would have gotten given more op- or earned more opportunities or given more opportunities this year or stuck around one more year. Cause I think he's a, I think he's a good player. We saw it on Saturday night, right? He had, he had a career game, three catches, 123 yards and a touchdown. Like he had never had that many yards in a game before. It just so happens to be in his potentially his last game. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say his last game in Norman, you know, it's, it's been out there on social media all day. His mom, who's really active on social media, hasn't refuted it. And so I, I, even though there's the the tweet from him um, kind of promoting the uh, Crimson and Cream NIL, I kind of think that's probably more of a scheduled tweet uh, that just kind of flew out there. Now, I'll admit it if I'm wrong later and he decides to stay, but it just seems like he's probably gone at this point. And it alone isn't necessarily a huge loss, but coupled with the idea that maybe Marvin Mims goes to the NFL, then you're losing two of your more experienced wide receivers. If Drake Stoops calls it a day, um, then you're losing three of your most experienced wide receivers from this team. Uh, Jill Fruit got very valuable experience this year. You got you know Jaden Gibson, Nicholas Anderson, who people are really high on. We just haven't seen enough, any of them really to besides Jill Fruit to know if these guys are going to be able to be frontline starting wide receivers at the college level. Yeah. You know, in terms of where it leaves Oklahoma, agree with Doug Armstrong there. Weiss never regained his speed from injuries. Unfortunately, it feels like, yeah, it played out that way. And yet, you know, even dating back to the spring game, man, I thought Theo Weiss looked really good for Oklahoma, you know, physically like he was back in that uh, spring game. So I don't know if it was a matter of he never fully got back from injuries, but at least in terms of maybe not even physically, John, but just in terms of the pecking order with this coaching staff, never fully got back uh, from injury from, from that standpoint. So you're right. I mean, the, the wide receiver position in part because Nick Anderson and Jaden Gibson didn't burst onto the scene the way that I think you, I, maybe others at times thought that they would, if this plays out how it appears it will, and I'm right there with you, I'm going to be shocked at this point if Theo Weiss is back. John, he's already flirted with the transfer portal once, remember, and then came back to Oklahoma. This just feels like, yeah, the writing's on the wall that he's not going to put his name into the portal a second time and come back to OU. I think he's going to wind up somewhere else. So, what? yeah, what does the entirety of OU's wide receiver core look like? It's uh, in some ways we're kind of back to square one where we were, you know, this time a year ago or this time, uh, you know, eight months, 10 months, however many months ago it was when we were having the conversations about really it was kind of just Mims and Weiss that you really genuinely felt good about going into the season. Now it's kind of Jaleel's your number one guy. And yeah, like 405 boy said right there, you got Jaleel who's your number one wide receiver. And outside of that, it's a lot of, a lot of unknown. I would imagine with that in mind, we saw Oklahoma do it, John, with uh, J.J. Hester. I know that L.B. Bunkley Shelton as well. Neither one of those really translated this season for probably a multitude of reasons that aren't just simply they didn't click, right? I mean, I'm sure that maybe there were some nicks and knacks around, along the way there too, but I would imagine Oklahoma's got to be in the, the market for a couple of transfer portal wide receivers, I would think. Yeah, they're going to have to attack the portal for just – 
some veteran depth. I mean, yeah, you got JV and Hester. Yeah, you got LV Bunkley, who two guys that I was high on coming into the season. I think a lot of it for them was they were late enrollees. They didn't come in until the summer, and so they didn't get as much opportunity to acclimate into the offense. But I do think that they have an opportunity to be good players for this team. Jalil Farouk, like, he's shown me some really, really good things this season. He's shown me that he's kind of got that wide receiver one mentality, you know, somebody that is going to fight for the tough things. You know what I mean? Like, and I think the, the, the sweep against Texas tech where it's like, he was getting hit in the backfield on the jet sweep. And then it ended up picking up a first down, like picked up 10 or more yards on that play. Like to me that showed he's got the right mentality to be a wide receiver one at the college level. It's just what's going to be coming behind him. And can he improve his inconsistency? Because that's been his real issue this year is just, having more consistency catching the football. I mean, he had, you know, three drops um, against what was it, Oklahoma state. And then, you know, had some good plays against Texas tech, but didn't really kind of raise his game to match the need of this team. So it, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens on that front. But I think I'm with you. Got to have, got to find another wide receiver. I think there's going to be plenty of options out there in the transfer portal. You got to just find somebody that's going to be able to come in and, and contribute right away and hopefully come in early in the spring and be involved in the, the spring practice, spring game, so that they're ready to go day one uh, in the fall. Oh, I think Josh is a little bit frozen. Oh, you need that. They, they obviously need that. Sorry, my connection, I think, was bouncing on us just a little bit. Are, are we stabilized, John? Can everybody hear me? Yeah, we're good. Oh, sorry about that, everyone. Uh, you know, it's uh, the Anthony Evans thing right now feels like it gets magnified when you start thinking about maybe some of these wide receiver defections. I trust that Oklahoma is going to find several skill guys, whether it's transfer portal, maybe even between now and then with this signing class. But, uh, I mean, I think that's going to be one of the big storylines we're talking about is what does wide receiver look like at OU? Yeah, and, and I think that's going to be the one of the big questions. Like last summer, it was what does running back look like? Going into 2023, wide receiver is definitely the biggest question mark on the offense. But there might be another question mark, and that's that quarterback. You know, Dylan Gabriel was non-committal uh, after the Texas Tech loss. He said it was too fresh. So who knows what his future holds in Norman? We'll talk about that after Joshua tells you about a new – I called you Joshua. That was so formal of me. Um we have Omaha Steaks coming, so we must uh, be formal here. Joshua is going to tell you about Omaha Steaks here, and we'll talk about maybe, Dylan Gabriel after the break. Maybe it's the holiday season, right? you got to be formal with uh, those yes. in-laws. Right? And, and if you want to impress said in-law, oh, let me tell you a great way to do that. Omaha Steaks, America's original butcher since 1917, and a holiday gift that's guaranteed to be loved. Uh, I've had Omaha steaks, a, you know, a bunch growing up. That was something that mom and dad absolutely loved. So they, they've got more than just obviously steaks, but they are the steak experts over at Omaha steaks. And they put together a special curated gift package just for you and your loved ones to help take the guesswork out of uh, what can at times, John be, yes, we love the holiday season. We love the Christmas season, but sometimes you're like, man, can this just be a little bit easier 
in the gift giving department. So go to omahasteaks.com, use our code locked on at checkout to get $30 off your order and send an assortment of mouthwatering favorites guaranteed to impress like the legendary butcher's cut filet mignon, the air chilled boneless chicken, ultra juicy burgers, and even easy to prepare comfort meals that are ready in a flash. Again, that is uh, locked on at checkout to get $30 off your order. I'm going to be very surprised if Dylan Gabriel's not back in the fold uh, at Oklahoma. I would imagine, which, by the way, what's up, everybody? Appreciate you guys uh, firing in the comments. We'll start rifling through some of those in just a moment here on the YouTube side. Thank you guys for being a part of the, the live stream here with us tonight on Locked On Sooners. I, I think Dylan Gabriel's back, man. I know that it was sort of heat of the moment in my mind right after you lost to Texas Tech and – you know, Dylan Gabriel has, by and large, I'm sure, been a part of quite a bit of winning throughout his, uh, even, you know, his collegiate career. But dating back before that, this is a little bit different scenario for him, right? And at times, though, you know, offensively, Oklahoma puts up close to 700 yards of offense in this game. There were several moments that you point to and you say the offense really kind of failed the defense, right? Or just failed this team in this game. So it's emotional. He's frustrated. I think about at the end of the game, you get the, and I've talked a lot about this, John, you get the big interception from CJ Colton. And what happens? You, you, you go three and out and have to kick the field goal instead of driving down for what would have, I think been a winning touchdown score if you could have gotten it. So I sort of chalk it up to long winded here that maybe he was just a little emotional after the game and didn't want to get him totally uh, committed to saying, hey, I'm definitely here or I'm definitely not. I think he's going to be back, but in the moment wasn't ready to totally iron down to it. Yeah, I think so too. I think he's going to be back. He he just has such a strong connection with Jeff Levy. I don't I don't see him as you know top 100 pick in the NFL draft. So th- this seems like his best chance to kind of like make make his career, you know, whether it's in coaching or as potentially a backup quarterback in the NFL. Um, that's kind of his ceiling as a backup. Um, so sticking with a guy that you know well and knows you well and you are you have a relationship with is probably the best thing for his future. And I think, honestly, like I know Jackson Arnold, he's fantastic. The dude is the truth. He's great. But for 2023 specifically, I really feel like Dylan Gabriel gives Oklahoma their best chance to win. Now, I, I, could, be, I could be proven wrong. But offense wasn't necessarily the issue this season. I know I've had some issues at times with the offense. But what it comes down to is if the defense is better, then they win more games. You know, like they potentially win against Kansas State. It, you know, they might win uh, that game against Baylor. They might win this game against Texas Tech. This might be an eight, nine win team if the defense is average. Consistently average throughout the season. So. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Dylan Gabriel sticks. Uh, let's look at a couple of these questions. Um, let's start with where it was. I think it was right here. It was about Micah Tease from Tulsa Union. Is he or is he from Booker T. Washington? I can't remember. Uh, Micah Tease, do you think Oklahoma has a chance at landing him? Doug asks. Absolutely, I think Oklahoma's got a chance at landing Micah Tease. I think the hangup was, oh, you wanted him to play defensive back right and mm-hmm. tease basically said no i'm going to be a wide receiver at least that's uh that's my recollection of how parker thune has described it so i mean at this point 
Oklahoma's not really in the market to be particularly choosy, I don't think, about talented, you know, four, five-star type guys, blue-chip recruits that say, eh, I'm going to play wide receiver. I'm not playing defensive back. OU needs to sign some wide receivers. So if Micah Tease is, you know, dead set that he wants to play wide receiver, then I say, you know, get a talented blue-chipper from in-state Get him, get him on campus and figure it out from there and let him start out a wide receiver. And if it doesn't work out, guess what? He can either transfer or then you switch sides of the football. I mean, there's all sorts of options once you're on campus. But uh, I don't think you sit there and tell at this point anymore. I mean, maybe maybe four months ago you were in the, the position to feel like you could tell Micah Teaser, whoever, eh, that's okay. If you don't want to play defensive back, then we're going a different direction. I kind of feel like right now, OU, I don't want to say they're desperate, John, but – get the talented in-state kid on campus and figure it out. Yeah. I think that's, that's the key. You don't worry about what position, if he wants to play wide receiver, you let him come play wide receiver. Like you said, you don't really have a whole lot of, a lot of depth um, at the position. Yeah. You've got some young guys that you feel pretty good about, but you just need to make sure you add more and more talent um, with you guys. Like this is one that they got to land being a legacy. Um, that, that's a huge one. So they, they need to get this one done and, and figure out a way uh, to make that happen. Uh, 405 boy asks, will Gavin Freeman be asking to do more? I don't know if he'll be asking to do more, but he might be asked to do more. I, I think that might be what you were trying to ask there. Uh, he, he shined. He flashed whenever he got the opportunity to play. I think if, do, if Drake Stoops does move on, then you're looking at, okay, this is your probably third, you know, wide receiver three, wide receiver four on this team. A guy that can win down the field. You can be your slot receiver. You can run him in some gadget plays. So that's, that's kind of where I sit on that one. Your thoughts on Gavin Freeman. I think, uh, you know, physically just the, the height, weight, all that sort of stuff is similar to Drake Stoops and some of the qualities. He might be just, a, I think a little, a couple ticks faster than Drake Stoops. So I mm-hmm. definitely can see Gavin Freeman being a playmaker for Oklahoma going forward, that Wes Welkery type of slot receiver that you can, you know, obviously I think at times maybe to Oklahoma's downfall. We saw our man, Jeff Levy. He likes to call a jet sweep every now and again. Now it worked early with Gavin Freeman. So anyways, all of which is to say he can certainly be utilized in that capacity. But I think that, you know, going forward, John, he could be more than just the utility guy that, every once in a while you run a jet sweep with, or, you know, I think that he can be a legitimate wide receiver for Oklahoma. I don't think he's ever going to be a one, two option, but I do. I, you know, what you said right there, three, four, you know, somebody that's a legitimate depth piece and goes and makes some consistent plays for Oklahoma. Absolutely. And right now where they're at, I mean, he's going to be one of the more experienced guys. So yeah, they're going to need him to do that. Yeah. And some people are asking about the tight end position and, I think that's another area where they probably need to add, you know, somebody that's got some experience. Um, where was it? I can't remember who it was that asked it. Anyway, a lot of talk about tight end. Um, but I, I think, okay, so you got Caden Helms, you got Jason Llewellyn. Llewellyn played a little bit more than Helms did this year. I think they're already going after a guy that's a division two all American. Um, I say, I think, I know that they're already going after a guy that's a D2 All-American. Uh, someone that you all might want to go take a look at. His name's Kyle Morlock. Um, again, D2 All-American, guy been very productive. But I think Jason Llewellyn and Caden Helms, they can be significant contributors for you next year. 
Llewellyn, he's got the size to be your inline blocker. Helms has got this, you know, the athleticism and the size to be a receiving threat. Um, this kind of goes back to what I believe about Brent Venables is that he's kind of reluctant to play freshman. Now we, we saw a few, we saw Gavin Freeman, we saw Jaron Canick at times, we saw RSJ at times, but, and Grayson Halton, but it was, it was very short spurts. Like it was very limited playing time for those guys, which is part of why I think that Jackson Arnold won't be the starter in 2023, unless for some reason, Dylan Gabriel is gone. Uh, and so I think Jason, I think all these guys, Jason Wellen, Caden Helms, Nick Anderson, Jaden Gibson, all those guys take significant steps in their second year in the strength and conditioning program and become big time contributors, or at least significant contributors play significant amount of snaps for this team next season. Hopefully one of those guys steps up in that capacity, right? Because, you know, any more with what Kittle and Kelsey and, and really, you know, I, guys like Gronkowski and Antonio Gates, I mean, the tight end position for what several decades now professional ranks on down. And we've seen a bunch of those guys come through Oklahoma, whether it's the, the Greshams or Andrews of the world, uh, Calcutta, I mean, on and on and on. There's been really good Braden Willis this season. There's been really good pass catching tight ends for Oklahoma. And that's sort of a trade of really good offenses uh, at every level of the sport right now. So hopefully, yeah, Caden Helms, Jason Llewellyn, one of those two guys can become what other guys around Norman, Oklahoma have been, because that's been a staple of especially recent years offenses that Oklahoma's got a uh, tight end that can go catch and make some plays. Sooner fan asks who will be the running backs next year. Javante Barnes, Gavin Sawchuk, those are going to be your kind of top two off the board. Uh, then you're possibly looking at Caleb Hicks, you know, getting some significant snaps, Dalen Smothers, maybe. Uh, you might see some of those guys break into the rotation, but it's it's Javante Barnes right now. He's he's the show. Uh, you might add a guy out of the transfer portal. Um, you might use the guy that you added this past summer out of the transfer portal, out of UCF. Uh, he's escaping me right now because he didn't play for the Sooners really. And so, you know, there, there's some options. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be Barnes and Sacha. It's going to be their show. And from what I've seen out of Javante Barnes, there's been a lot of encouraging things. I think he needs to work on his vision a little bit, being able to see when it's not blocked up and being able to cut backside or, or find a, an open running lane. There were too many times where if it wasn't blocked up, he wasn't getting anything. So he needs to, needs to figure out a, a Thank you, Josh. It's Bentavious Thompson. You could have interrupted me for that one. Um, so I do think you know they'll they'll be all right. They'll be solid. Like Demarco Murray's done a good job at um, developing his running backs. I think you know we we saw a big leap from Eric Gray. Like Eric Gray in twenty twenty one was a solid player, but he was nowhere near the player he was this year. So I think Javante Barnes, he's going to take a step. He got a ton of got a ton of snaps this year. Got a ton of carries for a true freshman. So I think it's going to be it's going to be important that he does take that step. But I think that they're going to be in a position where he does that. He has a really good a really good season for the Oklahoma Sooners next year. Yeah, he uh, obviously Javante Barnes heads into the thing as the leader in the clubhouse, no question. I would imagine though. I mean, Gavin Sachuk, guys, was a big time track star in high school, the kid can fly. And, you know, one, one full year of integrating of, you know, physically getting right and eating right. And, you know, the weight, weight stuff with Schmitty and everything. 
I would imagine that one-two punch right there, you're going to be pretty good with those two. And then if you can get one of these young guys to, uh, you know, step onto the scene and be a difference maker, or as we said, Thompson, who we really didn't see much of uh, this year, or another transfer portal name that we're not thinking of yet. I uh, Running back, I think they're going to be okay. They, uh, I mean, Javante Barnes, I think, has the potential to be a star for Oklahoma. These guys were blue-chip kids for a reason, man. They're going to be okay right there. That is, if you did pecking order of concerns at Oklahoma, running back would be way down the list for me going into next season. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel, like I said, I feel solid about the floor of Oklahoma's running back position. This was a really interesting question that we got earlier. Do we think that BV will go after Malcolm Kelly? Um, and then second part is that we heard Arnold is recruiting T's to come to OU. I think they would like to get Malcolm Kelly on board. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, from what I understand, he said no. So uh, I, I believe that they might be going in another direction from everything I'm hearing. And I think the player, the person that they're potentially looking at is going to be a pretty significant hire. So um, I would love Malcolm Kelly to come to Oklahoma. I would love him to be the wide receivers coach in Norman. At the same time, I can kind of understand why he might not want to be the wide receivers coach in Norman. It's kind of been reduced to a meme a little bit um, with the, with the whole, you know, freestyle rap after the Nebraska game. Like that's the only thing we ever really talk about with Malcolm Kelly. Uh, but he's done a great job at TCU. He's got a great thing going. Quentin Johnson is probably going to be a you know first round pick, the closest thing we've seen to Megatron um, in in some time coming into the NFL. I don't know if he'll be Megatron, but the the guy's got the size, athleticism, and the speed. So Malcolm Kelly, a definitely a a, a really good wide receivers coach, and I would love to have him in Norman. I just don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, it sounds like there's some buzz building about somebody from out west right as a wide receivers coach uh Rashad Samples I think is mm -hmm. the the Rams wide receivers coach or with Run, the he's the running backs coach right now but he was the he was formerly the wide receivers coach at SMU and um has ties all over North Texas that that's the name that's out there that people are buzzing on to uh to keep an eye on I don't know that that's absolutely who winds up being Oklahoma's wide receivers coach but it certainly sounds like he is in the mix and I would imagine I mean Malcolm Kelly to, to me, would would be in that mix too. I mean, if you're not totally zeroed in just on samples or on you know a handful of guys that we're not maybe thinking of yet, Malcolm Kelly, not just because of the the legacy thing at OU and his history here, like you said, uh, Quentin Johnston is a heck of a wide receiver, and there's other guys, skilled guys down there for TCU as well. It's not just Quentin Johnston, so he's done a really good job and would merit consideration beyond just. Oh, by the way, Malcolm Kelly had a rap at the University of Oklahoma about diminishing the Cornhuskers. He's legitimately, professionally has done a good job and would have earned it. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's a really, really good – he was a really good player for Oklahoma. He's turning out to be a really good wide receivers coach for TCU. And when you're good and you're having a lot of success where you're at, I, I'm kind of of the mind, like, if you're having a lot of success in a place, why would you want to leave? Like – he and Sonny Dykes have got a really good thing going. And so I think that he'll stay there. Um, Greg Chad asks, is it just me or is our offensive line pretty weak? I think it was good this year. Situationally, there were times I don't think it was very good, especially on like third and two, third and three situations. It seemed like this team could never pick up a third and three when they ran the ball. Going into next year, I have legitimate concerns. 
because you're probably going to lose Anton Harrison. You're probably going to lose Chris Murray, maybe McCade Mattire. That's a lot. And what, what are the answers along the offensive line? If you lose those three guys, I think they've got good players, but again, we haven't seen these players like they're it's good based on what they did in high school. Not good. They can compete at the college level. Robert Condrell, maybe he can add something to you, but I, I don't know. I think offensive line, you talked about pecking order of concerns. Offensive line is going to be right up there with wide receiver as far as the most, in, the most important things they've got to figure out between now and next fall. Yeah, it's got to be because probably, I mean, look, your Wanye Morris is, is gone, I would imagine. Anton Harrison, Rame, I guess. Has a decision. Chris Murray, we think, uh, is – I mean, Chris Murray's gone. Uh, Rame, I would imagine, is back. But, I mean, even if it's just those three, you're talking about three-fifths of your offensive line you have to replace. I'm looking at uh, some of the football outsiders' numbers and, you know, looking at it, uh, pass down sack rate wasn't great. But most everything else, uh, standard down sack rate wasn't great. Outside of just the kind of sacks allowed numbers – Looks like most things for Oklahoma's offensive line, the, the way that they graded at Football Outsiders, looks to be, honestly, top 25 uh, nationally. So they, uh, they were better than they were a season ago. Now, like you said, I think the most important thing, John, is situationally when you needed to go pick up third down and three, I don't know that we saw this offensive line just absolutely – maul people around and move them and be shakers and just allow Oklahoma when they had to go get a third down conversion on the ground. I don't know that this group always was able to do that. So could there definitely be improvement? Absolutely. Was it better? I think than a year ago. Yeah, I would say probably so. Is it a concern going into next season because of what you're losing? Yes, absolutely. And that's college football, right? Like that is the kind of the beauty and also the, the nightmare of college football is that every year, more often than not, you're replacing at least two, if not three members of your offensive line. Um, and maybe not every year, but in a lot of years, you're going to have to replace a lot of guys. So that that is on the coaches to figure out what are the best options for those, those spots and who can they get in the portal, who can they build up from their recruiting classes to be, to be better. Uh, speaking of recruiting, I mean, that to me takes a really high priority over the next month, you know, next couple of weeks month, two months, they've got to make sure that they finish this off. They finish the, finish the fight or finish this, this cycle off by landing all the guys that they've got committed now and not having any more flips and maybe flipping a few players themselves. It, there, there needs to be some positive vibes going into spring. And the only way that they're really going to be able to do that is by hitting the home run um, with this recruiting class. Yeah, it's a good class everywhere you look right now. Uh, I know that there's been uh, several defections of late, but uh, I, I don't know that Oklahoma's done with additions to this class. I would imagine that they're going to add a couple. And even if it just stayed what it is right now, guys, what Oklahoma brought in in 2022 and what Oklahoma brought in in 2023, on paper, key phrasing there, on paper, this is good enough, guys, for Oklahoma to, if if not this season and the following season, get back and be a factor and win the Big 12 championship. And then as soon as they get to the SEC, if they're recruiting like this with these top 10 classes, 
then they can win nine, 10 games in the SEC. And we need to see that that development on campus is happening with Oklahoma. I mean, we need uh, some folks from this last class. I think, you know, when we talk about the offensive line, John, what have we heard? Jake squared, really, really impressive players from day one. Jake uh, Taylor, Jacob Sexton, right? Okay, well, now you've had that year, and go show me that as redshirt freshmen, you could be legitimate legitimate players at the University of Oklahoma. And that's just two examples. We could do that up and down the roster, offensive line, defensive line, wide receiver, uh, you know, running back, on and on and on, defensive back players. That's, I think, where Oklahoma now is just kind of where we're at. Uh, you know, a lot of what you've had on campus, honestly, you hate to say it, but in some ways you're not going to be that upset to see it go because guess what? It was six and six for you. And so now it's about developing these young guys that you have on roster into stars of the future. And hopefully that happens very, very quickly. That's going to be the determining factor, I think, for the Sooners next season. So before we kind of get out of here, we'll spend a little bit of time kind of looking back at Texas Tech. We, we've done, you know, we had the live stream after the game and then we did our, our Monday episode or Sunday night, Monday morning episode. But on the offensive side of the ball, we really haven't talked much. What was just kind of your overall impression of how well they played offensively? Obviously, they scored 48 points, put up a ton of yards. And we're really, I mean, they're really good for the most part. I mean, they got off to a hot start in the game, played well. Everything looked to be going great and then just couldn't come up with the clutch conversions when you needed it. Yeah, well, I liked that they ran Eric Gray as much as they did. I thought throughout the season at times, and I get it, you're not trying to run somebody into the ground, so to speak. But, man, at times, just don't overthink football. Give Eric Gray 28 carries in the game, which I thought that was positive that Oklahoma did that in this game. And I don't know that OU every single game has done that. At times, I think they they did try and divvy up carries a, a little bit too much at times or just simply not run the ball enough when you're running it successfully. So I thought that was a positive. For Oklahoma in this game, I mean, look, Dylan Gabriel throws for six touchdowns in one pick. So the the offense, it's hard for me to sit here post-game impressions and say the offense lost this game for OU. And at the same, same time, John, it's hard for me also to separate from the fact what I talked about earlier. C.J. Colden gets you the big interception and – three plays, no first down, you kick a field goal. And because of your failures earlier in the game, by the way, on fourth down, your coach wasn't confident to go. And I know, what was it, a 42-yard field goal at that mm -hmm. particular moment? So, you know, tie game, chance to go ahead, probably more times than not, you're not gambling there. You're probably kicking the field goal, trusting that uh, you're going to boot that thing through and trying to hang on with a three-point lead. But because of failures earlier, even if the option of a fourth down gamble was on the table, you really didn't feel confident to do that. And that kind of was symptomatic, I think, of the offense of just the entirety of the season. And again, it's hard for me to separate that you got the interception, you had a chance to go get a touchdown that would have won a game, John, and weren't able to do it. Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of the difference in the game, honestly, is like Dylan Gabriel throws the interception before halftime. And Texas Tech's able to take the ball and go drive for a touchdown. You get an interception with just you know a few minutes left in the game, and you're not able to drive for a touchdown. And ultimately, you lose by three. Uh, I mean, there's missed field goals. There's you know going forward on fourth down that you missed. There's 
you know, the turnover, just a lot of different things. Like it's, 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 it's such a, it's so hard to talk about the offense because again, they were, they were good. They put up a lot of really good stats and I, and I'm a stats guy. I love stats, but in the clutch situations and key moments, the offense didn't, couldn't come through. And I don't know if it's cause they don't have the guy that they could feel like, all right, I can throw it to this guy, no matter what the situation is, no matter what the coverage is, I've got a, I've got a winner on the outside that I can throw it to. We've got an offensive line that no matter the situation, if it's short yardage, we can convert. I don't know, but it seems at times that there's not a, there wasn't a lot of trust at any level of the offense in key situations. And I mean, some of the fourth down call play calls, somebody mentioned, you know, uh, Jeff Levy's play calling. Some of those were not good, you know, like they, they, they would leave guy, a guy wide open on the left side on the pass rush and Dylan Gabriel gets sacked. Um, you know, they, they try to run it and Texas tech is ready for it. Like it seemed like Texas tech, even though Oklahoma was putting up a lot of points in the key situations, Texas tech knew what was coming. Like they, they had everything dialed up, ready to stop Oklahoma. Um, and so, yeah, I, the offense was good, but I don't think it was a great offense in 2022. I don't think it was one of the best offenses in the country, even though statistically it was good. They had a, a like great statistics, but third down, they converted less than 40%. Fourth down, they weren't very good. And I think that that's kind of what was prevalent on Saturday night in Lubbock is that on third down, they started trending down as the season went along. And unfortunately, this team started almost playing for fourth down. Like we're going to call our third down play to set up a better fourth down play, which is mind boggling to me. Playing for third down is losing football. In my opinion, if you're playing to set up a third and short, you're already behind the chains. Like you should always be playing for first downs. And I don't want to sit here and praise Lincoln Riley a ton, but Lincoln Riley, I felt like he was going for the sticks all the time. Like they, they were averaging like, you know, nine, 10 yards per play a lot of times in those seasons. So like he was making sure that we were staying ahead of the chains by attacking the sticks. You know, I love to look at how many behind the line of scrimmage throws uh, Dylan Gabriel attempts every week. Well, on Saturday in Lubbock, he attempted 14 throws behind at or behind the line of scrimmage 14. That was 35% of his passing attempts. He had more attempts behind the line of scrimmage than he had zero to nine yards or 10 to 20 yards. And it wasn't just that they were behind the line of scrimmage. Sometimes like he was throwing the ball five yards behind the line of scrimmage on some of those weird Eric gray motions into the backfield. Then he fakes, he's going the other way and he fakes the handoff and he runs just straight away from Dylan Gabriel, not even like towards the line of scrimmage to catch the ball. It's just like a straight perpendicular line, you know, running and it, and it just doesn't understand. I don't understand it. Like I get that that's kind of an option in their RPO game. Well, they need to take the option away because them throwing behind the line of scrimmage, like teams want them to do that. They're allowing that to happen and then they're tackling. And I think that's the thing that's been so frustrating to watch with this offense is how much they're willing to let the defense dictate to them what they do. When we saw it on Saturday night. Marvin Mims, he can be a game changer. Theo Weiss, when given the opportunity, can make plays for you down the field. Braden Willis is a good tight end. Drake Stoops can be clutch at times. But too many times this year, it's like the defense, the, the offense let the defense decide what we're going to do. 
And I like an RPO game. I, I think it's a really good aspect of any offense. But if it's if everything that you do is keyed on what the defense is doing, then you're you're not really trying. You're not really dictating the game. You're you're kind of letting the game come to you. You're letting the defense determine what the game is going to be. And when they're letting you throw behind the line of scrimmage, thirty five percent of your attempts, then they're winning. Because that means that all they have to do is get to the line of scrimmage and tackle. If you're throwing the ball downfield, you're attacking them. Instead, you're you're catching passes four or five yards behind the line of scrimmage, and then they get to attack. I think one thing, just agree with so much of what you just said, and probably what I agree the most with, man, is money down, money moments, this offense, whatever the stats are going to lead you to believe about total offense and scoring offense – a lot of times in money moments, they did not deliver. And again, we saw that down in uh, Lubbock on Saturday. Well, one, one final time we saw that. And I said this uh, for those that maybe missed it in our last episode. This was a different way that this Oklahoma team lost, right? We'd seen Oklahoma lose close games and they lost another one, obviously, versus Texas Tech. But this was the first one we saw Oklahoma get up 17 to nothing. And honestly, it could have been worse or 24 to six, John. And honestly, it could have been worse and then found a way to lose. That, uh, my friends, is the making of just a non-winning football team. That's the politest way I can say it. And the offense, though the numbers... Obviously, look, the defense much more responsible for a lot of the failures of this team. Let's just call that what it is. But offensively, not totally free of blame either. The other thing about uh, Dylan Gabriel, John, I think you think about and I what you were talking about with throwing the football behind the line of scrimmage. I, I chalk a little bit of that up to this. I don't think Dylan Gabriel is great at improv. I know we had our night at the improv jokes about Mike Gundy and him, you know, poking fun at the Sooners and Brian Bosworth and everybody ahead of Bedlam, but there's not a lot of night at the improv. I don't think with Dylan Gabriel, right in Oklahoma is coming through a stretch of quarterbacks in Baker Mayfield in Kyler Murray and Jalen hurts and in Caleb Williams that look, when things break down, they can go just be a magic man and create themselves. Or if, the structure of the play, which is, hey, I'm tossing it behind the line of scrimmage to Eric Gray or you name it. If they see somebody flying downhill, probably a lot of these quarterbacks aren't throwing the football there. They're going to kind of do something themselves. And unfortunately, I think too many times if you roll the tape back with Dylan Gabriel, it was pre-designed reads. There wasn't a lot of, hey, I'm going to readjust and recalibrate on the fly. And in key moments, I think that burnt this team. Yeah, and – that's going to be something that they have to really look into, you know, going into the off season, that game management, clock management, whatever way you wanted to describe it. That's going to be a huge learning um, opportunity for Brent Venables and this staff, because yeah, I, I think I, I like analytics. I like analytics. I like the idea of them. I like using all the information at your disposal to help you make decisions. But when your team's not good on money downs, Maybe don't go for it on fourth down, you know, when it's, you know, fourth and four, you know what I mean? Like maybe don't go for it on fourth down as much as you do because they struggle to convert. It's, it's never an easy conversion for them. It's always, and it's always like a blown up play too. It's not you. It's not like, oh man, they just like drop the pass. Like the field, the fake field goal attempt, 
Brayden Willis, he dropped it, but it was kind of thrown behind him because you're asking your punter to throw a pass. Or, you know, if you're running Eric Gray, a lot of times he's getting hit in the backfield or Dylan Gabriel getting hit in the backfield. It's never something that like is just easy for them. It's always, if we do convert on a fourth down, it's like we had to work really, really hard to make sure that that happened. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with that. Like, I, I don't mind the aggression. I don't mind the idea that they're going to try and take it, take it to a team, but they're going to have to get better on those money down situations because they can't be as inefficient as they were on third and fourth down next year and still have that same level of aggression. You know what I mean? Like they've got to learn from that. So here's something that you and I can workshop the rest of the week. Okay. Did this on the radio side and I'd be curious to hear your, your list as we progress through the week. Okay. Five things that Oklahoma, or it can be three things, a couple of things that Oklahoma absolutely has to improve to get back to playing championship type football. What, what are those things? And I think we've probably discussed a lot of that tonight, but uh, I'd be curious to hear what some of your ideas are. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll throw this one out there right now. It's like just consistent tackling efforts. Uh, you know, it's when I, I feel like I've seen so many shoulder tackles, you know, not like just, just not a lot of good fundamentals in tackling. Now I'll admit I'm, you know, I didn't play past high school. And uh, on, on defense, I got my bell rung more than I would like to admit. Like, was not a great tackler. I was getting concussed by fullback Ryan Hyatt as I'm coming down to fill in the hole. Um, but these guys are college football players. They've played a lot of football. They should know how to tackle at this point. But too many times, it seems like they're trying. They're expecting that they can hit the guy with their shoulder and drop him. Or they're trying to grab and see, you know, try to tackle that way. And, and I think the fundamentals of tackling just kind of went out the window at times. And, and I think that's part of what Brent Venables talks about when he talks about discipline or playing undisciplined. It's also in the fundamentals, not just in you know, being undisciplined in the scheme, but being undisciplined in the fundamentals of the, of the game. And that matters. Now, when you play a ton of snaps, those things start to kind of go out the window, the more tired you get. And so, you know, they got to condition better defensively. They got to get back to, being fundamentally sound. And I think when they, you know, when they were playing against West Virginia and playing well defensively, when they were playing against um, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, I felt like they were more sound fundamentally. Even though, you know, Spencer Sanders threw all over the place on them, I felt like it, it wasn't like a lot of busted coverage where guys were just running wide open in the zone. Guys were making plays and they were getting, they were, they were finding spots in the zone, but it was like not because somebody you know, took the wrong read in their zone coverage. It was just because they, they found a good spot. Spencer Sanders made a good throw. And then, or, or like, you know, there was a play where CJ Colden just kind of got beat on the slant real quick and gave up a big 45, 50 yard, you know, pass play. Most of that, which came after the catch. So I think it's just be, getting back to playing sound fundamental football. If, if they do that, they're pretty, they're pretty okay. I almost said they're pretty good. They're pretty okay, which, you know, it's not great, but yeah. I mean, if you can get to average a little bit above average next year, then I'll feel better about it. Well, and we, we probably got to put a bow tie on this at some point soon, but I think that's, what's so frustrating about this year 
as I listen to you talk about just the fundamental elements, be where you're supposed to be, right? Be a good tackling team. Look, if you get burned a little bit here and there, then that's football that's going to happen, right? If you give up some chunk runs here and there, guess what? Uh, maybe you're not as great up front, snap in and snap out as the opponent that you're seeing. That's football. That's unfortunately for this Oklahoma team until they get several years down the road and they've restocked this thing and developed it up the right way. Probably at times that's going to happen. But man, there's no way you can tell me or convince me. And I, because of some of what uh, my professional covering responsibilities look like, there's no way you can convince me that the University of Iowa has better athletes than the University of Oklahoma. And yet the University of Iowa has an ability to get these guys up there, up north, to be in the right spots, to be form tacklers, to play defense the way that you're coached to play defense. So if Oklahoma can just figure out how to do a little bit more of that, right, just be fundamentally sound. If you're not the most talented defense, then so what? You are not the most talented defense, but man, you can be the most fundamental defense in the Big 12, and I think too many times, obviously, we did not see that from Oklahoma. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of what Matt Campbell said, right, a couple years ago. It's the difference between having a, a three-star player with a five-star mentality and a four- or five-star player with a three-star mentality. And I'm not going to say that you know this team isn't mentally strong, but I think part of that is the – the knowledge and fundamental aspects of the game seem to go out the window at times or, or the kind of the toughness and several of the losses this year, they were just out physical, you know, like the TCU loss, the Kansas state loss, the Texas loss, they were just beat up up front, uh, beat up on defense. Like the, the other team was more physical than they were. And so maybe that's part of what, what has to happen in the transition, right? Is there's a lot of guys that were recruited on the last under the last coaching regime, especially on the defensive side of the fall, football, all the defensive coaches are brand new, all of them. And so, you know, the 2022 class, it's kind of a mixture. It's a blend of guys that were recruited under Lincoln Riley and guys that were, were recruited under Brent Venables on defense. But this 2023 class, for the most part, it's going to be BV's guys. And I watched some of these guys, like a Taylor Wayne, a three-star guy, an Ashton Sanders, three-star guy. Somebody mentioned Eric McCarty earlier, a three-star guy. For the, until 2022, he wasn't even rated on 24-7 sports. You look at those guys, and they seem to have the right mentality, right? Like the right edge to them. And, and I think that's what it's going to take is finding guys that have the mentality to play above their star rating and be better than what's expected almost and kind of rise to the occasion. You know, it's like, I think it goes back to like Teddy Lehman, you know, an under-recruited dude just flashed, but had the right mentality to, to be a star at Oklahoma. And I think that's, what's going to be for this, you know, the Brent Venables era defense is like, okay, the, the stars matter. I'm not going to tell you they don't matter, but more than that, it's what do you do with those stars? Once you get to like, like, how is that going to translate? You know, we had Josh Bates on last week, a, a three-star center. But I guarantee you that dude's going to be a terror for Oklahoma's offensive or for Oklahoma's offensive line against Big 12 and SEC defenses because he's got the right mentality, the right makeup. The dude's got fight. He's got heart. And I think that's what it's going to come down to is like the finding the right guys that not only are talented, 
but they have the the mentality that's going to allow them to take that talent and down in and down out be really good for this team. Well, and I think guys just off that point, I'm looking at Jimmy's comment and Greg's comment. Jimmy's comment, why are we so charm and soft and mentally weak? And Greg's comment, our team threw in the towel anytime things got a little challenging. I think when you talk about, hopefully, somebody like an Eric McCarty and other guys that, who's the Kendall Dolby is a defensive back. What is he, a, a Juco kid, I think. Yeah. Those types of guys, man, they're coming here to the University of Oklahoma with a lot to prove right? They don't have the same stars next to their name and the mentality and the makeup of guys like that. I think just mixing and matching it is, is great for the university of Oklahoma. I've said that before in the past that having those types of personalities where, and it's not guaranteed to anybody, but those guys come in with a different mindset. I think than a lot of four and five star kids, because guess what? They don't have the big label next to their name. So they got to go earn it, man. Every single day, they got to go earn it. And hopefully Brent Venables and this staff can instill a little bit of that because clearly uh, it has been missing from the University of Oklahoma. There's been a, a lot of uh, problems, a lot of problems for Oklahoma. And the five things you want to uh, get Oklahoma to elite, one of the things that I would share, this is uh, call this a tease in the business, John, introspection, introspection to get where Oklahoma wants to go. And I'm talking top down, baby. I'm talking the entirety of the coaching staff. I'm talking every single player on the roster. Why did we fail? Yeah. And I mean, he, he, Brent Venables points to coaching. He says it goes back to coaching. Well, okay. Coaches, we need to show, we need to see you improve. We need to see this team improve. Otherwise it's on you. You're taking responsibility for it then it's your responsibility to make sure it doesn't happen again next season. But Hey, again, thank you so much to everybody for jumping on in the live stream. If you're just coming on with us, make sure you go back and watch the early part of the show. We've been going for 53 minutes. I think we always get on here with a plan to go for about 30, 35 minutes or so, but there's always so much to talk about. And you guys are so great at interacting with us on the show that we just, we got to keep going. So thanks so much for being a part of the show, being a part of the live stream. We're going to do this every Monday night. We'll keep going through the off season here on the locked on podcast network. We are five days a week for like nine, 10 months out of the year. We take like two months in the summertime where we go to four, you know, three, four days a week, but we'll be with you here every single day. Some other shows, they might go dormant. They might not record as often, but we're going to be with you bringing Oklahoma coverage, talking through all the hypotheticals, talking through the recruiting class, signing day, all that good stuff. So make sure you're subscribed to the show, wherever you get your podcasts, we're free and available on all platforms. YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. We're here for you, the Sooners fan. But until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. We'll catch you then. Boomer Sooner.